remain standing for the reading of God's Word from the 10th chapter of Matthew. If you have a copy of the Word of God, you might want to turn there and follow with me. Now hear the Word of God. We'll begin at verse 5, following through verse 8, and address a few points from this passage of Scripture to us. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Our Father, as we hear this word, And even listen in on a more private conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. And yet that has been inscripturated for all of eternity for us to hear this day. We pray that you would open up our minds and our hearts to this that you call us to do. You would give us an understanding of things corporately. And that you would speak to us individually. We pray that the Spirit would make application in very deliberate ways in our lives as we consider our role in the church, fathers and children, husbands and wives, us as Christians. And Lord, perhaps there is one here today that you would call to be a missionary. Perhaps there's more than one here. And we pray that your Spirit would be speaking in your Word and through this time to bring that to a greater awareness, or perhaps even plant the seed of that thought today for something that he or she will do many years later. However you desire to use the word, we pray you'd bring it forth in our lives fruitfully and abundantly. And so we ask for your spirit to attend these matters now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. For some time now, I've desired to reduce to writing a missions philosophy for our church. It would help us to know more specifically out of the biblical principles of the Scripture how we are to get involved and even how we are not to get involved, who and where we should help financially. But it also puts missions into an important framework for our church, and it keeps it in the forefront of our work here, because it is part of the work here. If we should have some young people called to go into the ministry and feel called to the mission field, then a philosophy such as this, written down, derived from the Scriptures, could be very helpful. We are in a passage of Scripture that provides some very helpful guidelines as we consider the topic of missions on the very first ones that Jesus ever sent out with the kingdom message. And as we study our way through this passage, both today and in subsequent weeks, as we consider this in this somewhat exegetical but topical framework of the topic here that Jesus is addressing, as he sends out these first missionaries, I would like for us to consider this passage in three tiers of application. First of all, we will consider it in its historical setting, but the application and these general principles that can be derived, I would like for us to consider for those that God may be working already in their hearts to call them and send them out in some form of ministry. 
whether it be as pastor or missionary or whatever. So in the very first and very specific way, as he was doing here, as we listen in on this conversation, you should be asking yourself, is this something that God would have me to do? Or perhaps maybe the Spirit is already at work in some way, beginning a germ of thought, or maybe he does that even through the course of this morning. So a second layer of application I would like for us to consider is corporately regarding our role and the support of missions and coming up with some guidelines and a framework for us to be fixed upon biblically so that we know more specifically how we can be corporately involved in this great mission field. But third, I want each one of us individually to consider application because I think the, the principles here are general uh, enough and can be such that each one of us has a ministry and each one of us has a spiritual gift here at Heritage and I want us to consider this on a very individual basis as it pertains to your life and your ministry here. So I find here help for all of us on an individual basis, on a very particular calling basis, and even on a corporate level. Now as we have considered the context of this passage in previous weeks, Jesus outlined some considerations regarding His mission work in this world. And as He pointed out, In chapter 9, verse 36, there are many people in this world that are disquieted and distressed who need a shepherd. But secondly, there are very few laborers in the field. So therefore, the very first thing that we are to do is to engage in prayer and praying for laborers to show them the great shepherd of their souls. And so we should not be surprised that in direct connection with that prayer, the next thing we see is Jesus calling 12 disciples to himself and equipping them and preparing them for the work of the the ministry in connection with the prayer for labors. And these were men of various backgrounds, temperaments, personalities, strengths, and giftings, and he uses all types of people. And after he called them, he empowered them and equips them. And we see for the rest of Jesus' public ministry that the three years or so that he spent with these men were really about their preparation. So whatever Jesus calls you to do, he empowers you with the Spirit to succeed in the very mission work, the very ministry that he has called you to do. So while these principles were specific to these 12 men, they are true for every member of the body of Christ, and they are true from generation to generation. They are especially helpful to those considering ministry and mission work, but they generally apply to us all. So it would be my prayer that God would tune our hearts into these principles and give ourselves to them. Now when people feel God moving them into some particular vocational ministry, the next question that tends to be asked is then answered in the passage right before us. And the question after people are called is, where do I go? That was very true of me. When I was feeling a call of God into the ministry, it took two and a half years for me to wrestle through that call 
to make sure this is what God would have me to do in my life. And the struggle I had is I was always comparing myself with other pastors and reflecting upon that. Well, I could never do what he does. I could never be what he is. I could not give myself to this in that way. And I just don't see this. And yet, God took a lot of those questions away when he showed me what my next step was. A a step in a place that I had thought and I had even said that I would never again go to, and that was higher education, formal higher education. I was an engineer. I was a a guy who was thinking very analytically and mathematically, and the last thing I wanted to do is go read thousands and thousands of pages and be tested and write upon these things, and it scared me to death. But I literally was shown by God, that's your next step. But I did not know what my step was beyond that. I did not know what he had in store for me, where he would lead. And so this is a very specific question of place. Where do I go specifically? I mean, the whole world is before me, and he says, go into all the world, but this gets right down to where you live, and specifically to you as an individual, where is your place of ministry? It's a question of place. And this passage does give us some principles that are helpful in this regard. The first principle is this, that God directs His people to the places they are not to minister. And that prohibition to take the gospel or not to take the gospel into some places actually sounds surprising to some. A missionary or a pastor doesn't simply go where there is a need, because there is a need everywhere. But he goes where he is called. In fact, God does keep the gospel from going into some places to some people at some times. And we see that here. In the present context with Jesus' disciples, he tells them in verse 5, not to go in the way of the Gentiles. Do not go north. Do not go by the way of the coastline and up into the north area, which is today modern Lebanon. Don't go there. Don't go to the north and to the east and to what is known today as modern Syria. Don't go there. And do not go south through the way of the cities of the Samaritans. Do not go there. They all needed the gospel. But Jesus specifically said, you are not to go there. There are hundreds and thousands of people who needed the gospel. And people were dying without the gospel every day and going off into eternity without God. And they were instructed not to go there. They were specifically instructed to go to the lost house of Israel. And out of that, I want to extract a couple of principles. And the first one is this. We ought to expect the Lord to direct us where not to go. Of all the possibilities in considering a mission field, we ought to be able to expect people to say, expect prospective pastors and prospective missionaries to say, I do not believe God would have me go there. Oh, there will be a need there. But we need people to understand 
that even though that field may be needy and it may have many unreached people, missionaries need to be able to come to a position without any guilt and say, no, that is not the place God is leading me. Now, there are a number of biblical examples that testify to this. In the Old Testament, we see Elijah was directed by the Spirit of God to one specific widow, and yet there were many widows. Naaman was among many lepers, but only he was the one that God decided to cleanse. Even in a few chapters later in Matthew, Jesus heals a, a, woman's, a Canaanite woman's daughter. And as this Canaanite woman came and sought our Lord's healing power for the sake of her daughter, at first Jesus answered her, not a word. And then his disciples said, do you want us to send her away? But the Lord answered then in terms of his own specific ministry. He said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And we do know that the Lord had mercy upon this woman and upon her daughter, and he did heal them. He did not mean in this answer that he was not the savior of the world and of all classes and kinds of people, but he had a mission and a people and a place appointed by God for that specific time, and it was not the time for him to go into the Gentiles. God himself chooses where people do not go to minister. People are sent here here, and not there. To these groups of people and not to these. We see the same thing in Acts with the Apostle Paul. Right after the Council of Jerusalem of Acts 15, he and Timothy began taking off and going into the places and they went through the areas of Galatia and Phrygia. And those places needed to be further evangelized. But when he passed through those areas, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word. So then they end up in Mycenae and they tried to go over to Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit prohibited them from going there to preach the gospel and to evangelize those people. No, no. The Lord was leading Paul where not to go. And throughout missions history, we see many, many examples of the same principle when missionaries got bumped from place to place and never got to where they really intended or at first thought. But they did arrive where God finally wanted them by process of elimination. <clears throat> Adonara Johnson never planned to go to Burma. But through a series of events and God's providence led him to where he wanted him. Initially, he intended to go to India, but the East India Company prohibited him from preaching the gospel to the Hindus and kept him out. So, he then went off to the Isle of France, which is a little place off the eastern coast of Africa, and found that that place was not open and conducive to missions. And so he then sought a ship to return back to India, 
to do what he could, and he went down, and the only shipping that he could get a ship on was one ship, and it was heading to Burma. So he gets on the ship. And God used him in a tremendous way of opening up the gospel through many trials and many difficulties with losing wives and children in great sacrifice for the Lord. And yet, in a couple of weeks, we have a group of people from our denomination that are going to Burma. Myanmar, which is Burma, because of a pioneer who blazed the trail and whose torch of the gospel was lit and has not yet been put out in that country. God had a plan. He said, no, no, yes. Amy Carmichael, who is known for 55 years of mission work in India, started out in Japan and after 15 months had to return home. Then she went to Sri Lanka. It was only after some time she went to India where she was most known for 55 years of continuous ministry without a single furlough. We should all be aware that wherever you start your life in ministry or even where a missionary starts out, that they may start out thinking God's leading them to a certain place or a certain aspect of the ministry. But they may have to alter their plans, and that is okay. Because our Lord and the Apostle Paul and missionaries throughout church history and even in our own lives, when we see a need, and yet the Lord says, you're not going there. However, on the other side of the equation, on the other side of the coin is the fact that you are supposed to be in a very specific place with a specific ministry. And that's where the Lord, we can be confident, will direct your path to the very specific place that He wants you. It is sometimes questioned today <coughs> that believers... can actually experience an inward call of the Holy Spirit about things like this. There's a relatively recent teaching and acceptance that says as long as you are not forbidden by the Scriptures and decisions and directions you take, then you have the entire world ahead of you. One option is just as acceptable to God as another option is. Now, I want to warn you against that kind of teaching. And I want to warn you against those who would teach that kind of teaching, no matter how honorable a man that they may be. That they would teach that you are free to minister however you choose, wherever you choose, and you can marry whomever you want and serve however you desire. When you read your Bibles from the beginning to the end, you will find that God leads His people individually and specifically. And we're not talking about additional revelation. We're not talking about going through life thinking that you're thinking 
and that leading is infallible, that you're not capable of making a mistake in that, or just because you prayed about a certain matter, then you know it to be so, and you give yourself completely to that, and you can't be talked out of it. It's not what we're talking about. But I am saying that the Spirit will give you specific direction, and God has a specific plan for your life. The Lord will direct you individually, just like He led Peter to Caesarea, just like He led Paul to the Gentiles, and just like He led Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch on that divine encounter. Very specific. Now, how can you understand where God will lead you and how you are to serve in what capacity? And there's some applications for us to consider. And the first thing that we all need to have and be is utterly and completely open to God and how He would lead us. It is a complete openness of your life. Are you prepared to go anywhere and do anything that the Lord desires of you? Or have you closed some areas of your life out? I mean utterly, completely open to God in whatever He wants you to do. Once you get there, that is the first and the preeminent thing that needs to be true in your life to know specifically the direction and the calling of God. qualify that a little bit. I'm not asking if all those fields are equally exciting in your estimation or any places or something that just are equally. But to surrender to God doesn't mean you don't have your druthers. But it does mean that if God tells you to do something, then you will certainly do it. I will never go back to college, I said. But God had a different plan. There's no way, now that I'm married and have a family, that I could completely leave my career and dedicate myself to full-time study in college for the next three and a half years. But God had a different plan. Utterly and open to Him, He showed me then my next step, and I am so thankful I enjoyed that time as tedious and hardworking. I look back at great fondness to the time we didn't even know how we were going to make it financially. And God continued to show Himself and bring forth just things that our eyes have never seen. I would not trade that for anything in my life. But you have to be completely open. Everything has to be out on the table with God. The second thing you need to think about is to seek wisdom through diligent application of yourself. To find out all you can about a particular mission field, if you feel like maybe the Lord is calling you to missions, or about the ministry, if you feel like He may be calling you to pastor, or a field of service that you desire and your heart has interest in, you need to be about applying yourself and seeking wisdom from parents and spiritual authorities and applying yourself to learning about what this means and what it's like. 
And you'll have a growing sense of rightness in your spirit and even a burden that begins to develop in the direction that God would have you to go. As you go through this process, the Lord will say no to certain things. And He will also open doors to areas and place and ministry that He does want you to go. And if you truly seek the Lord in this and have everything open and on the table with Him, you cannot miss the will of God for your life. And once we get to the place God wants us, what are the we then to do when we get there? And that's what verses 7 and 8 give us some instruction on. What is the work of missions? <clears throat> and verse 7 says, And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Preach the kingdom, for the king has come. And the kingdom is in the person of the great king. The main focus of missions is the word of God and preaching the word of God and teaching the word of God. The kingdom has arrived in the person of the great king. Now that wasn't the only thing that they were to say, like a robot that goes around just speaking that one little phrase. They were to fill it out. They were to fill out the meaning of the kingdom and the intentions and the applications and what the kingdom looked like and how it operated, what the implications were. And Later in Acts, we will see how the preaching of the gospel was a means of planting churches that would be hubs for the multiplication of the Word of God. But the emphasis of any missions work, needs to be the spread of and the multiplication of the Word of God. That is the primary emphasis of heritage. When we evaluate missionaries and potential missions work to finance to consider, we need to consider the emphasis and what they are primarily about and intending to do. Is it primarily the Word of God? The Word of God is is the primary in missions. Now I do need to <clears throat> provide some little qualification here because there are some auxiliary mission work that comes alongside the Word of God, which is the Acts 6 principle. And when the Word of God is beginning <clears throat> to be hindered in its multiplication because of the workers who are gifted to to do that, then we need ancillary ministries to come alongside of that to relieve some of those burdens so that the Word can be multiplied. That's the Acts 6 principle. So there's lots of ancillary ministries that are coupled and yoked together for the multiplication of the Word that we must also consider. Now perhaps you're here this morning and, and you wonder, young man, if perhaps... You might be one of those people that God may call into the ministry. How do you know if you might be one of those? Just a few questions that may be helpful. What goes on in your daily Bible devotional reading? What goes on in your spirit, in your heart, in your mind? Because if God is calling to you to preach, here's what almost instinctively happens when you read your Bible devotionally. 
you find that your heart almost instinctively desires to communicate that same material to others. And we all have this to some degree or another. But ones who are called with a gifting of preaching think in terms of communicating that truth that they learn into the lives of other people with sermons or Bible studies or applications or sharing some form of discipleship in some way to convey those truths and it is a compelling kind of thing that grows within them. And preachers are so overwhelmed with it that they have to remind themselves that this passage is for them first. Because the brain wants to think in terms of everyone else. If that's true in your life, young man, then that perhaps is a a pointer that God is doing something in a kernel form that needs to be developed, encouraged. The second thing that we see the primary thing was the Word of God, but there's a secondary thing that we're to see in verse 8. When they were to go out to heal the sick, to cleanse the lepers, to raise the dead, and to cast out demons, freely you have received and freely give. The second thing to the Word was the authenticating works that accompany the Word. Now the works were secondary. The Word was primary. The works were complementary. They authenticated the very words. They authenticated the gospel. And it has to be kept in that right emphasis and in that right order, primarily the word, secondarily the works. But even though they were secondary, they were important. In fact, they were necessary for the ministry of the word. In the case of Jesus and his disciples, we see these miracles. Now, miracles in a very technical manner, do not occur today. A lot of things that we say are miracles are simply the supernatural providence of God in working in life every single day. Does God heal sicknesses and cancers and other things? Yes, He does. He works supernaturally, but in a very technical and narrow way, miracles were those things that authenticated the messenger and the message and were primarily foundational signed gifts in the first century given to Jesus and the apostles. They will always accompany revelation. There were really three periods where miracles were prominent. And they always accompanied Revelation. The time of Moses and the Exodus, the time later as we see in Elijah and Elisha, and then in about the 40-year period of Jesus and the apostles. Each one of those periods were only about 40 years. Now there were other miracles throughout history of the revelatory history of the Word of God, but specifically miracles were foundational things. Now, miracles were a signed gift, and it was even including uh, the raising of the dead and the healing of lepers, and it was without the use of means, without medicines, without means. But the primary reason for those powers of miracles, the primary reason was not to relieve human suffering. 
our hearts go out to human suffering. But the primary reason for miracles was enunciated by Christ Himself back in the previous chapter at the beginning when we read of the paralytic. And as the paralytic is brought to Him, Jesus pronounces that His sins are forgiven. And when He was criticized for claiming that He can forgive sins, He said, so that you might know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, He said, Take up your bed and walk. The very reason that he pointed to his healing of this paralytic was so that you might know that the Son of Man hath power to forgive sin. In chapter 7, when John the Baptist was under great duress, and when people are under great duress in situations like that, they begin doubting a lot of things that were once certain to them. And John was doubting. And the Lord authenticated Himself by pointing to John the many miracles that He was doing. Go and tell John, this is what's going on. It was the same with the Apostle Paul because his apostolic calling was being questioned by the church of Corinth and there were many apostles falsely so called. But the apostle said in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Miracles in these signed gifts were that which were needed to authenticate the message. And so they accompanied the preaching of the kingdom. In the first century when the Messiah came into the world, there had to be some authenticating works to demonstrate that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And that was the purpose of the miracles as revelation accompanied them. But as Jesus and the apostles laid the foundation of the church, and a foundation is not something that is relayed. It is a one-time thing. Those miraculous sign gifts are no longer the norm today. But having said that, the message of the gospel is often accompanied with necessary and authenticating works. And that's why Jesus implores us all to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify God. Good works are legitimate to proclaim the love of God. And you must stretch yourself in order to validate your message. If you are not really prepared to love people, and sacrifice for people, and give yourself that way, then the impact of the gospel may not have much of an effect in your own life. And it will not have a great impact on the lives of others We have to face the fact that we as Christians are called to this day and night. Give your time. Give your energies. Give your passions. And show that God is real in your life. And God will provide opportunities for you to do that. To have your good works accompany the Word of God. To authenticate it in your own life. 
And those opportunities that God will give you will demonstrate the sacrificial love which complements the Word when the truth is preached. They testify of the Gospel in your own lives. Ministers and preachers and missionaries must be especially vigilant so that those ministries of good works do not rob them of their time from the main thing, and that is the ministry of the Word. The ancillary, auxiliary works are necessary to authenticate the Word. But do realize this, people. The good works were not primarily to relieve human suffering. As important as that is. For what good is it if a man is healed in this moment, but his soul is lost for all of eternity. Every opportunity you have to do a good work for somebody, you need to be thinking about how that carries primarily the word of the gospel, which is primary. Through a word, through something that you can give glory to God, and in all your ways acknowledge Him, And He'll direct your path. The good works that we do are complementary to the authenticating, the very Word which must be primary. So as the Lord directs you to the place of ministry of where you are not to go, and He directs you to the place that He will have you to serve and go, whether that be here, whether that be there, whether it be halfway around the world, you can know that the Lord will direct you if you are utterly open before Him on this matter. But what are you going to do wherever you go? You need to be about supporting the primary emphasis, and that is the Word of God to be grown and multiplied and spread in your own life and through your neighbor's life and through those around you. It is the Word of God that must be primary even as you come along with the good works that you do. It needs to have the name of Jesus with it. Those good works are ancillary. They're helpful. They're necessary. They must be there to authenticate the Word. And by this, they will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. You can do good works to men's bodies, but if their soul is lost, what good is it? The very unique thing that Christians do is they preach and they teach and they testify and they speak and they share the gospel so that the souls of men can be saved. These are people without a shepherd. They are distressed and they are disquieted and they need Jesus, the shepherd of their souls. And you have opportunities to serve with your hands. But you must be able to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. As Christians, don't be satisfied merely with just the good works as an end unto themselves. But be able to give a reason of the gospel hope 
be able to articulate and communicate even in the most kernel and simple fashion so that people might see something different about your good works that separates you from the world because it is the Lord Jesus who has changed your life and can change theirs and be the shepherd for their souls, their their disquieted soul longs for. It behooves us, folks, to be well equipped with the gospel, to know how to turn conversations, To know how to give a good word of the gospel in good due season so that they can accompany the very reasons that our hands are active and that our feet are moving. As we think about these things for this coming year, we think about these things globally in terms of missions and what we are to support and get involved in. But we think about these things for perhaps also in the ministry God has us and the things that we are to do when God opens up those opportunities for us to serve our neighbor. But perhaps there's also a more specific example here, an application of one that God may be dealing with. That he may be sending you out from this place with the gospel to preach the word. And if you perhaps are thinking about that in your own spirit or God is beginning to lay that on your heart in some specific way. Just make sure everything is out on the table with God. Don't qualify it. Don't put boundaries around it. Don't say that you want. Just say God show me. Where not to go, what not to do, where not to serve, and direct my path to where I should. And He will direct your path as you acknowledge Him in all of your ways. As we pray for these things, as Jesus taught us to pray for the laborers, we should expect that God would, just like He did then, send out laborers from here into the harvest, which is plentiful and very few of laborers. But perhaps God will be raising up our children, our grandchildren, and perhaps even one of you. When I was in seminary, there was a man there who had been called to the ministry who was 51 years old. And he struggled all the way through those three years with all that memory work as a 51-year-old that started. And as he ended it, he was somewhere around 55. But he did. And he's in the ministry today as far as I last recall. He can still use old people, and he uses young people. As we've already read from Psalm 8, he can use even suckling babes to give him glory and to bring praise to his name. There's not one that's excluded from the ministry of the kingdom. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we pray that the Spirit of God would make application to our lives specifically and individually. Oh, how I remember the way that you took the preaching of the word from the pulpit and began to show me a a new horizon for my life. And one that was in many ways uncomfortable because I could not see how it would turn out. But one that I could not refuse because it was the work of your spirit compelling me. If there is one here this day that is beginning to think in that direction but does not know what it means, we pray that your spirit would give guidance and wisdom and direction and equipment, uh, the powering and the preparation for what you would have for him or her in their future lives and ministry in the days ahead, and that we might do our part here however we can 
to help and come alongside and encourage and equip those who would be like that. We pray, too, that you would give each one of us individually specific application of how we are to be engaged in the ministry that you've placed us here and to be faithful in the little things. And then as you continue to provide uh, greater responsibilities, we might be faithful in those things as well. But help us always, at all times, to just keep our lives open and bare before you so that if there are turns in the road or a path that's different than the one we see that you would have for us to follow, that we might always be open for those adjustments and for the tweaking of where you would have for us to be. And Lord, we ask too that you would help us corporately to know how to get involved more aggressively and proactively in the mission work that you have equipped us to be. But we have been a mission work for quite some time and now you are training and preparing and equipping us financially and with gifts and strength to now be more involved in a more deliberate fashion. So give us wisdom how we are to think about these things and show us where we are not to be involved and direct our path to where we are. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.